John chapter 10. We're on the seventh day of an eight day uh, feast that the Jews have, often called Hanukkah. It's also called the Festival of Lights, and in the Scripture, it's called the Feast of the Dedication. This is a feast that the Jews began to have um, in the Inner Testament period. The Roman, uh, the the uh, Greeks, by uh, the leading of Alexander the Great, had defeated the then known world. Of course, Alexander the Great died very early, and the empire that was formed which, by the way, was prophesied in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel, that there would be an empire uh, that would very quickly, uh, very quickly like a leopard, defeat the whole world. They were able to have an empire throughout the whole world. But he died very quickly, and it was split into several sections. And in about 164 B.C., the... Greeks had come in, the solutions had come in, and, and, uh, a man, the, the ruler at that time, this man named Epiphanes, or named of God, had come in, leveled Jerusalem, or, uh, defeated Jerusalem, went into the temple of God, started to sacrifice pigs. Of course, those of you that know, uh, the Jewish religion and even looking to the Old Testament, pigs are an unclean animal. In fact, many people believe that this was the forerunner of the desolation of the temple spoken of both in Daniel and in Revelation. I personally believe that the Antichrist at about three and a half years into the tribulation is going to enter into the temple And he's going to set himself up as God. Well, so did this man Epiphanes. He set himself up as God. And a Jewish priest with his sons led a rebellion. In this rebellion, they were able to kick these solutions out. They were able to rededicate the temple. When they made their way into the temple, they found that they had enough holy oil to light that, what we call the menorah, but the golden candlestick for one day. Now that candlestick, in the scripture you can read about it, that candlestick is supposed to stay lit and always be lit. Well, they only had enough for one day. But miraculously, that oil lasted for eight days. For eight days, giving them enough time to be able to uh, gather more olive oil and dedicate it and all that was needed to do in order for it to become holy. And that's all extra biblical. Were they able to finally fill that lampstand up again? That At that point, it was a... a uh, seven lampstand, but the menorah, of course, is nine... And because of that, they began to have an eight-day festival or feast in Israel. It's been said that in Jerusalem, they, they began this, 
this festival, and each night they'd put a candle in their windows. Of course, many of you, some of you may even do this, you might put a candle in your window at Christmas time. Um, if you don't, you can easily go out and find places where they put a candle in each one of the windows. Well, at the time of Christ, this festival of lights had become much less about the glory of God and what God accomplished in allowing them to defeat an empire that was far greater than them to cleanse the temple and to begin to uh, rededicate the temple. Um, it became far less about that and far more about lights. By the way, it sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? At Christmas time, uh, it's, it's become far less about Jesus and far more about lights and presents, etc. I'm nothing against lights, not at all. Um, but if we are going to celebrate Christmas, by the way, it's not a biblical mandate that a Christian does. There have been many Christians throughout history who never celebrated Christmas. In fact, the Puritans made it, they made Christmas that, uh, it was a, you're breaking the law if you celebrated Christmas. If you didn't go to work on Christmas, you can go to jail. Can you believe that? I'm not, I don't believe that. I believe there's plenty of reason to celebrate Christmas. I love the Christmas time. But we need help from God if it's going to be anything more than a celebration of lights and presents and the spending of money and driving up credit cards, right? Well, for these people, as the, as the day of Christ came and the, the ministry of Christ came, it became much more, much more than lights. They had ceased lighting. Now, the Jews today, they light one candle on day one and day two and day three and day four and day five. But at the time of Christ, it's been reported that what they would do, this is an amazing thing, they would light one candle and put it in each window on day one. Then they'd light two more candles and put it in each window on day two. Then they'd light three more candles and put it on in the window on day three. And you can imagine the fire hazard for one, but <laughs> historians at the time of Christ said when you walked up the hill of Jerusalem, it was like walking into a flame of fire. Not because all the buildings were burning down, but because there were so many stinking candles that were in the, the windows of all the different, of all the different dwelling places and, and uh, it had become a festival of lights. It truly was. You can imagine going up to that hill of Jerusalem, uh, back then. It must have been quite a sight. Well, in John chapter 10, I want you to notice there in verse 22. Jesus had come to Jerusalem, and it was during Hanukkah. In verse 22 it says, And it was at Jerusalem the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. Now, the feast of the dedication is the feast of light, the festival of lights, the the time we call Hanukkah today is day seven of Hanukkah. Tomorrow will mark the last day of Hanukkah. It might have been, in fact, this very day when Jesus begins to speak these words. As we come to verse 22, we are in the midst of Jesus' ministry in Jerusalem that's been going on for about three months 
They had had the Feast of the Tabernacles, and you can see Christ ministering there in Jerusalem from the Feast of Tabernacles right through this day. And after this day, he entered into, he, he left and, uh, went out into, uh, beyond Jordan on the other side of Jordan where many people followed him and believed. Um, but between what the Feast of Tabernacles this year started uh, ended on October 1st, um, right up till today, or the, the second to last day of the Festival of Lights, Jesus was ministering in Jerusalem. It must have been an incredible time there in Jerusalem. In fact, it was filled with all kinds of buzz. <laughs> all kinds of buzz. It's like... How many of you have ever been involved in the, when, when the America's Cup used to be down in Newport? How many have ever gone and seen those sailboats as they sailed out of Newport? A couple of you? Alright, bad example. I figured here, uh, in the southern part of Rhode Island, some people would have gone and seen the America's Cup, but only one or two. It'd be like, it'd be like the Super Bowl was being played at Gillette Stadium. Right? For a long time. It wouldn't be, the buzz would not just be there for the Super Bowl day. The buzz would be there for weeks and weeks and weeks. Governments would start talking about how, how, uh, it was a boon for their town. And Providence would say how many hotel rooms were filled up. Well, Jesus was in Jerusalem for three months. You think hotels got filled up? Well, there's no doubt there are many people there to see Jesus. They were in Jerusalem, not for the festival of lights. They were there for Christ. They were to, they were there to see Jesus. If you turn back, you see Jesus healing a blind man. And I want you to notice what he says. In the midst of this time, the, all of these things that Jesus said, In verse 5 in chapter 9, he says, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Believe me, this phrase, I am the light of the world, would have been incredible, an incredible reminder at this time because it was the festival of lights. Jesus said, I, this man is not blind because of his sin or his parents' sin. I am the light of the world. I came to bring light to the blind. He said something to the Pharisees because of this. In verse 41, Jesus said unto the Pharisees, If you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin is remaineth. Jesus during this time was going to be... He wasn't harsh... But his words were piercing, and they would have pierced these Pharisees. He said in chapter 10, he begins to speak to them about shepherds and sheep. In verse 9, he says, I'm the door. The door would be the doorway in which the sheep would come in to the dwelling place. By the way, this is important as we look at this passage that we're going to look at today. But the idea, many of you might have heard, well, there's no way Jesus was born in December. Now, I don't know if Jesus was born December 25th, but I do know this. The idea 
that Jesus was not born in December because the shepherds would have been too cold is ridiculous. <laughs> you know what December is in Jerusalem, which by the way, is like living in Georgia? December was the green time. You know what, what, you know what fall is in Israel? It's the brown time. You know why it's brown in Israel in the fall? Because it hasn't rained since the winter. <laughs> December's the rainy season. And it would have been warm. And the idea that the shepherds couldn't have been out in the field abiding with their flocks is not true. They could have been. I don't know when Jesus was born. The Bible doesn't tell us. And because it doesn't tell us, I don't think it needs to be that important. I think we're fine celebrating the birth of Christ on the 25th of December. But here's the thing. Jesus is the door by which the sheep would enter in to the dwelling place. Jesus Christ is our way. He's the only way. He's the only way into the dwelling place of God. Did you know that? Jesus is the only way into the dwelling place of God. Without Him, there's no way. He said, others have come and tried to be doors. You're not in the dwelling place of God if you have not come through Christ. Right? There are people in this world today who believe they're in the, they're on their way to the dwelling place of God, to be where God is, because they've been such good people and upstanding citizens. Americanism is not the way to heaven, right? Remember that. Americanism is not the way to heaven. We're going to look at this in the new year. But God always intended for there to be a variety of culture around the world. He always intended for there to be incredible variety of culture, foods and of, of traditions and different ways of doing things. And I like American, the American way of doing things, but it is not the only way. But there is only one way to heaven, and that's through Christ. Right? By the way, it's true. God always intended for there to be variety. How do we know? He said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Right? Then, of course, all the wickedness that went on and God sent a flood. And when the flood was over, what did He tell Noah? Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. But what did the people do? They all gathered together and built the Tower of Babel. It was only after the Tower of Babel that the people went into different places and we have different cultures. Right? There are things about the Chinese culture that are not wrong. I'm glad there's such thing as the Chinese culture in many ways. I know what they sell down the street at the Chinese food restaurant and what they eat down there, but I like Chinese food. <laughs> And so we need to be careful as Christians in America, and I'm way off now. We need to be careful about being angry at people because they come from a different culture. We need to be careful about getting down on them on their sin because we ourselves in America are filled with sin and they see it better than us. Right? We need to go and bring the gospel to them. Right? And I think the old timers had it right. When Hudson Taylor went to China, do you know what he did? He grew his hair long and shaved his head except for one long tail. Why did he do that? 
to minister the gospel to those Chinese people, right? Mrs. Hudson Taylor let the women into her house to ruffle through her bureau. My goodness. How many of you ladies would love the, the ladies of the town to come to your house and start ruffling through your stuff? Why'd they do that? Why'd she do that? So that the Chinese people would be saved. And we can look at China today and there are millions of Chinese people who know the Lord today because of Hudson Taylor and the people who came along with him. Right? And you know what he told every single person who came to minister under the China England mission? They had to do. They had to wear a robe like the Chinese did. And they had to shave their head except for a little ponytail down the back. Can you imagine England said, you are crazy. Many of them said, we don't want anything to do with you. Well, here's the problem. There are certain things that we ought never to do. We ought never go to the Buddha and bow down and worship. We ought not like things to Buddha and things like that. But is it, it is, is it a sin to cut your hair like Chinese people cut their hair? No, right? We're way off now. Let's get back. Verse 22. And it was at Jerusalem, the Feast of the Dedication, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. And in Solomon's porch, you would have had the Sanhedrin. That's going to be important in a moment. But these were the judges of Israel, the judges there in Jerusalem. And then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt if thou be the Christ? And so you can imagine there being hundreds of people there on Solomon's porch going about their business. And Jesus comes in. And what does the Scripture say they do? They surround Him, don't they? They surround Him. And when they surround Him, and this is a different crowd than the crowd where He was at Peter's house and uh, He was healing people. You had even four crazy guys breaking up the house and bringing their, their friend in so that he could get healed, right? And there were, there was a flaw and just a great number of people surrounding him and they all wanted to be healed. Not these folks, right? These folks surrounded Jesus in order to accuse him. And ultimately there was their desire at the end of it all was to pick up stones to stone him. If you look there in verse 39, Therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand. Now that's an amazing thing. I don't know how they how he escaped, because he was just there with his disciples, and these people surrounded him. Right? They surrounded him. And in verse 24 it says, Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. That word doubt is the same word that's used throughout the Scripture to speak of the soul. Here were a people that were surrounding Jesus that were filled with consternation. Remember this. People who are met with the Gospel, who are met with Christ, when Jesus comes... And impresses himself upon an unbeliever. If they do not trust Christ, they are going to go through a period of consternation. They're going to go through a period where their soul, if they, they're going to feel lost. They're going to be filled with worry and angst. How many of you have ever seen that? Where you ministered to someone 
And they just couldn't get you off their mind. They were mad at you when you were talking and they stayed mad at you for a long time after that. Right? Have you ever had that happen? Where you would figure the way they were treating you, they, they maybe they got mad at you, maybe they took your track and crumpled it up and threw it on the ground. You'd figure the way they acted, as soon as you were out of their sight, they would have forgot you, but they don't forget you, do they? They start talking to you at dinner time. You wouldn't believe what this guy did today. He tried to give me a million dollar track. I took that thing and I crumpled it and they just can't get you off their mind. These people for three months have not been able to get Jesus off their mind. Not in a good way, not in a worshiping way, but in a fretful way. And people who don't trust Christ ought to fret. Because without Christ, they have no hope. And so here we have hopeless people surrounding Christ saying, my soul is so, my soul is so stirred, so lost. Jesus, you have made our lives miserable. What has Jesus been doing? He's been healing blind people, right? He's been um, ministering in the synagogue. He has been doing many good things. And here are these people. They say, why don't you just tell us? Are you the Christ? And that was the spirit they had. If it was appropriate, they would have at that moment beaten Jesus and nailed Him to a cross. But they couldn't do it for fear of the Jews that did believe. This was the spirit they had. How long are you going to make us to doubt? They didn't come up and say, hey, it's amazing. We, we saw you heal that blind man. Uh, we, we've seen you teach and you teach with such authority. Are, are you the Christ? Or are you the one we're waiting for? It wasn't what it was. It was, why have you caused such consternation in my life? I cannot get away from you. Everywhere I go, people seem to be talking about you. I want to be freed from this. At least if you could say that you're Christ, we can kill you now for blasphemy. That's what the spirit they, they had. And believe me, people have the same spirit today, don't they? Have you ever talked to somebody who said, I just can't get away from this thing? Maybe you talked to them about Jesus one day and the next day someone else did and the next day someone else did and they say, I just can't get away. Oh, to God that they'd simply believe and they'd never want to. <laughs> Amen? You guys with me? I love to talk about Jesus. <laughs> I love to get together with people and pray to, pray to the Lord. I love to talk about what God is doing in lives of people. But there was a day. Where it just didn't seem I could get away. Why do you keep doing this? Why do you keep talking about this guy? I just want to get away. And this was their thought. Maybe now we can get away. If we can just get him to tell us plainly that he's the Christ, then we can say, no, you're not. We're going to kill you now. But what does Jesus say? Jesus answered them, I told you, and you believe not. <clears throat> now, Jesus at this point has not said that he is the Christ. In fact, it would not be until the triumphal entry until he would publicly proclaim that he's Christ. 
But when the Pharisees came and the religious leaders came and they began to talk about Abraham and then Moses, Jesus said, I am. He had told them they just didn't believe. Can you just tell us plainly? He said, I told you. Not only did he tell them, but what did he do? He healed the blind man. He forgave the woman in adultery. He spoke about the true children of Israel. The true children of Abraham. He had um, proclaimed that he was the light of the world. Excuse me. And he had done many, many good works there in Jerusalem and in the midst of Jerusalem. He said, the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. In other words, I couldn't do this lest I was the Christ. In fact, if you look back to verse 21, others said, these are not the words of him that hath a devil. Can the devil open the eyes of the blind? In other words, you shouldn't have to ask the question, I am. Christ, right? I am Christ. And the truth is, brethren, today, people should not have to ask the question whether Jesus is the Savior. It is so evident and obvious. And yet most do not believe, do they? Jesus answered and said, I told you and you believe not the works that I do in my Father's name. They bear witness of me, but you believe not because you are not of my sheep as I said unto you. Now he's going back. Previously in chapter 10, he had given the dissertation on the good shepherd. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. And know my sheep and am known of them. Um, Jesus had spoken about him being the shepherd and the people who trust and believe as his, as being his sheep. He's saying now, you come and surround me with this question. You are not my sheep. If you had known that I'm the Messiah, if you would, you wouldn't, if you were able to say with all confidence rather than asking the question, you'd be my sheep, but you don't believe you're not my sheep. But you believe not because you're not my sheep, as he said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. These people surrounding Christ were not his sheep. Why? Because they were not saved. Because they did not believe. Should they have believed? Did they need Jesus to say, I am the Christ in order for them to believe. I'll ask you this question. Even if he did, would they have believed? No. You know, at this point, the only person that Jesus proclaimed that he was Christ was to people who had already believed that he was Christ. He said, Peter, he said to his disciples, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're Isaiah. Some say you're one of the prophets. Some say you're John the Baptist. Who do you say that I am? Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Right? And what did Jesus say? He said, only my Father could have revealed this unto you. 
In other words, the only people that he told that he was the Christ were people that had already believed. And he wasn't going to tell people who were not going to believe that he was the Christ who should have already believed that he is until they believed. And so was he going to speak plainly here? They should have already believed that he was the Christ, right? You, He said, I've already said it and you haven't believed. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. This is such a precious passage. And I give unto them eternal life. Did you know eternal life is not eternal if you can lose it? You with me on that? Eternal life is not eternal if you can lose it. But if Jesus has given you eternal life... How long will you have eternal life? If you don't have eternal life forever, if Jesus gave it to you, is it eternal? (laughs) No! It's only temporary. Some people literally believe that you can be saved and lose that salvation. They don't understand what eternity means then. (laughs) Look at what Jesus says. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Now in that verse, whose hand are the sheep in? Jesus's, right? Remember, he's giving imagery of shepherds. I want you to know you are in the hands of the good and great shepherd if you belong to Christ. If you know Jesus is your Savior, you belong to Him forever. He's your great shepherd. He's your good shepherd. For how long? Forever, you're in His hands. The lion wants to come after you and devour you. Whose sheep are you? Jesus's. You wander away into the mountains and He's got 99 others. Does He say, "Ah, I've got 99, I don't need 100. Or does He go after the one? He is the good and great shepherd of our souls. He's the bishop and shepherd of our souls. But he says, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. But notice in verse 29, my father, which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. Now, whose hand are are you in in this one? Here's the point of that. If you're in Jesus's hands, whose hand are you in? That's right. If you belong to Christ, you belong to God. Because who is Jesus? He is God. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of these works do you stone me? What a question. You stone adulterers. You stone blasphemers. You stone all types of people. I've done all these good things. What are you stoning me for? Jesus never did anything wrong. He always did that which was right. And so the Jews answered and said, For good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. And because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. The word blasphemy literally means to take God and lower Him. We blaspheme when we take the name of the Lord in vain. You know, we pick up the kids in the the bus ministry and I have to tell them, Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. 
It's blasphemy. It's a, it is a sin of taking God and reducing Him to less than who He is. Rather than taking God and reducing Him to what He is, we actually should be lifting Him up. Now we might say, how can we do that? We take God for what man sees Him as, and we lift Him up to where He really belongs. You with me on that? But they're saying, no, you take God and you bring Him down. Because you're saying you're God. And you're not God. You know, when Jesus walked this earth, He was God. And there was nothing anybody could say about Jesus in a way that spoke of Him as God that made Him made God less. In Philippians chapter 2, it says He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Because He is equal with God. I and the Father are one. Verse 34, Jesus answered, Is it not written in your law, I said, ye are gods? Now this is a quote from Psalm 82. Now why does he say this? Because in Psalm 82, he's talking about the judges of Israel. And in Psalm 82, he's talking about those people who ruled over Israel in accordance to the law. Well, who's he talking to here? He's talking to the Sanhedrin who are the judges according to the false laws of the Judaism religion, right? He said, hey, isn't it written in, in your law? You are gods, in verse 35. If he called them gods under, under whom the word of God came, the word of the, the word of the law came to them who are the Jews and the scripture cannot be broken, verse 36. Say ye of him whom the Father has sanctified and sent unto the world, thou blasphemy, the blasphemist, because I said, I am the Son of God. If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though you believe not me, believe the works, that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. What is he saying here? He's saying, you might be God's little g in the sense that you judge according to your own judgment. I am God because I am the judge. Now this made them furious. Because what did he say about his judgment about them? What was Jesus' judgment about them? Well, right in the following previous verse, he says, You are not my sheep. Right? And we could name all kinds of other things that he said to unbelievers, the unbelieving Jews. Whether it be the Pharisees' whitewashed tombs or serpents or vipers or dogs. This made them furious because Jesus said, you are in your sin and are doomed. This is what Jesus said and spoke of at Hanukkah. You know what Hanukkah is for the Christian brethren? It is our reminder forever and ever and ever that we are His sheep and we are not condemned and we are in His hand and we're there forever. Amen? That is what Hanukkah is all about. May God help us when Hanukkah comes to not think of dreidels for a moment and then, then pass by. Hanukkah is for Christians. It's not just for the Jews. In fact, it may not even be for the Jews. <laughs> Hanukkah is for us to remember that Jesus is God. And we're His for how long? Forever.
Amen? That is what Hanukkah is all about. Jesus is the light of the world. Well, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Maybe there's someone in your life who's like this throng around Jesus. <laughs> they accuse Jesus. They would like to escape Jesus if they could. Maybe, they, maybe they've said certain things like, you can come, just don't talk about Jesus. That's who Jesus was talking about that day. That's who He was talking to in the quietness of the moment. Would you ask God to help that person? people in your life. Maybe it's a brother or sister or cousin or friend. They like you as long as you don't talk about Jesus. Pray for them. Maybe you've been struggling and you thought maybe you, you could be you actually could lose your salvation. You cannot lose your salvation. There's only one thing. If it's not yours, you don't have it yet. If you have not trusted that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and rose from the dead, if you do not believe that with all your heart, with all your heart, then you're not saved. It's not something you can lose. You don't have it yet. I want you to know Jesus did die for you. He did rise from the dead. You could be saved today. But if you are saved, you cannot lose it. <laughs> You're in His hands eternally. Rejoice in that this morning. If you're saved. If you're not saved, you must be saved. I'd like to sit down with you and go through the Scriptures that prove that Jesus died to save you from the penalty of your sin. Come see me. Let's spend some time together.